Daily Drive is brought to you by eBay Motors. Auto dealers, are you missing the most engaged buyers because you don't know where to find them? At eBay Motors, you'll find buyers so motivated, they purchase a car or truck once every three minutes. Just call 866-210-5362 and mention code AUTONEWS to get 50% off your first two months. Jamie Butters, Chief Content Officer at Automotive News. Welcome to Daily Drive for Wednesday, October 13, 2021. While automakers and dealers are managing to thrive in the production-constrained auto industry, suppliers are grappling with both a shortage of willing laborers and the frequently fluctuating production schedules of their customers. Bill Kozira has seen just about everything in his four and a half decades in the auto industry. He joins me today to share his insights on the state of communications in the industry and to reflect on the smooth transfer of leadership he executed at TI Flow Systems, the 59th largest auto supplier in the world. I reached Bill Kozira at his home in northern Michigan. Bill Kozira, welcome to Daily Drive. Thank you, Jamie. So I want to jump right into it. You Run one of the you have been had been running one of the uh, biggest suppliers in North America, and I'm really curious about your perspective of the experience of this last year and a half. How have the OEMs been to work with over the course of this COVID pandemic era? You know, from from the early days when it was really about shutting down and safety protocols and cash flow to now with the sort of fits and starts of trying to get back to work. Uh, how, how have the relations been between suppliers and automakers? Yeah, Jamie, well, thank the opportunity to chat with you today. I, I guess I would characterize the, the, the situation as, uh, you know, the microchip or semiconductor shortage is, is turning out to be, you know, a lot more challenging and lasting a lot longer than we, we initially thought. And, um, you know, the the challenges, you know, are not only in the supply side, but also in uh, us working together as an industry to resolve them. And uh, while the OEM supplier relationships had have been improving, as um, I've been uh, stating and, and been very uh, clear about uh, over the past several years, you know, I think we're at a point where uh, closer collaboration and more transparency is necessary for us to efficiently get through this, uh, uh, the remainder of this issue. Um, well, you know, the third quarter of 2021 is thought to be probably the trough or the worst of the uh, semiconductor supply issue. Um, you know, it, it certainly would appear from all sources that this issue is not going away anytime soon and that we will likely have to uh, manage this through probably the early to mid-2023 timeframe. So uh, that's a lot of runway ahead of us, um, and uh, there's a lot of opportunity for both OEMs and suppliers to uh, even further uh, communicate and collaborate around the solutions. So, yeah, it's been really um, dizzying how rapidly things got worse, you know, from thinking it would be a, a little dip in production to this, you know, thing that now looks like it's going to drag out, you know, and really influence sales and production for another year. Uh, the outlook for 2022 really seem to take a hit. And, you know, do you feel like you have a, any kind of sort of a clear view on how the recovery takes shape? I'm only aware of one OEM who has indicated they believe they'll have the issue resolved by 
uh, the middle of, of, of 2022. But, but, you know, I think that's maybe optimistic and is certainly, you know, one thing that we, we, we sense is that each OEM is sort of in a different uh, uh, solution path around this issue. Um, so it's, you know, it's not a, it's not the same resolution date for all of them at the same time. Um, you know, they're, they're driving different solutions, I believe, in many cases to solve this issue. Well, we just saw the news this week about Toyota uh, trying to make up for about a third of its recent lost production, asking suppliers to ramp up and facilitate the increased output. Is that something you think we're going to see more of? Well, you know, we've, we've, we've all been asked to do that in many cases. And the challenge that we have as tier one suppliers is the OEMs give us releases based on the expectation that volumes are, are going up, their production volumes are going up. But the reality is when we get to the end of the month, the OEMs do not take all the product that we produce. And so it has created a very inefficient operational model uh, in reality for suppliers. And uh, this has been going on for several months now. So it really is not the way to continue. That's why I believe more collaboration and more transparency is necessary uh, in the OEM supplier relationship because you, the reality is you have OEMs making fewer vehicles. Uh, they are trending to be more profitable than last year uh, as a result of them eliminating or reducing significantly the incentives on the vehicles. And um, the suppliers, meanwhile, are, are running more inefficiently and are having a lot of pressure put on their profitability as a result of these inefficient operations. And so, you know, this, this cannot be a long-term model um, for the suppliers. We're, we're happy to see the OEMs being more profitable and, and certainly they deserve to be more profitable because they're making heavy investments in the future. But suppliers, I think, um, need to uh, find a, a, a better operational model in working closer with OEMs. You said there are differences. Uh, you know, each company is on their own path. Are they, are they grouped at all? Is it? I mean, are the top Asian automakers different than the top American automakers or European automakers? No, not necessarily. Uh, there's not really any grouping. It's just that you know we can sense um, when when you look at the the reality of production that each OEM is is working on their own solutions and their own resolution around capacity shortages. So. You know, the solutions that, you know, we are aware of that are taking place is, you know, there's more chip capacity being added uh, to the industry and more allocation by the chip producers to the auto sector, um, which is positive, but that, you know, that will take some time. In fact, there's one chip producer that is investing heavily in capacity in the United States, which I think is very positive for, you know, getting that production closer to where the, the vehicles are produced for the North American market. Um you have OEMs limiting options on these cars to reduce chips, which, um, you know, in, in many cases uh, works for consumers, especially consumers that need a new vehicle and want a new vehicle uh, and aren't willing to wait. And at the same time, you've got OEMs that are redesigning their electrical architecture to combine uh, the functionality to reduce uh, the number of chips required. And that, of course, takes a little bit longer. That That's a re-engineering that's in process. And it's a necessary re-engineering because as we move towards more, um, you know, advanced driver assistance systems and autonomous type functions, those will require more chips. And uh, 
the forecast for increase in chip needs for automotive actually goes up significantly between now and the end of the decade. So just for this year, for 2021, what do you think about the, the race between Toyota and GM? GM appears close to having all of its North American plants back up and running. I mean, do you have a sense who's going to be able to make the most? No, I, I, I know that uh, they're always uh, working to outpace one another. And I think both of those OEMs are great OEMs with, with a bright future. And, and they have a lot of very capable and smart people that, uh, you know, are, are, are working through this. Uh, so I don't, I don't, I don't offer an opinion on, you know, which one's going to end up on top in terms of uh, produce the most vehicles, uh, you know, for, for the fourth quarter for the year. Um, I, I can't tell you that, you know, for us to continue to manage through this for what's going to be at least another year or so, uh, as I mentioned earlier, that I think that more collaboration is necessary. If we just look at how we would have solved in the past other, you know, industry constraints or supplies, we'd be much more scientific about sharing uh current capacity, planned future increase in capacity, what is the actual output that we think we can get with the current capacity and limitations, and how does that increase over you know, time, month by month, week by week? And uh, I just don't see that level of transparency in, 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 in a lot of cases, which would be helpful really to both parties at the, the end of the day, that being the OEM and the suppliers. We'll be back for more with Bill Kazira after this. The most motivated car buyers aren't knocking on your door anymore. They're online, but you don't have to look far. You can find them at eBay Motors. Our platform features over 7 million engaged users. Our buyers are so engaged, they enter over 3 billion search impressions per month and buy a car or truck every three minutes. Today's car buyer has high expectations when they browse online eBay Motors helps you meet those expectations. Use machine learning with our AI-driven vehicle pages, and you'll automatically optimize your buyer's experience. It's as easy as listing your inventory and watching as the most engaged buyers find you. If you've ever uploaded your automotive inventory to a website, you have more than enough skills to get your cars listed on eBay Motors. It will feel like you're setting up an entirely new car dealership within minutes. Once you list your available inventory, you'll have additional support from the platform, including a single destination page for your entire brand. Want to generate more sales automatically? eBay Motors lets you choose between auction, classified, and fixed-price listing options so the site does the heavy lifting. It even integrates with your existing dealer or vehicle management system. All you have to do is list your inventory. Sit back, relax, watch a movie, and then check back in to see the sales you've made. How do you start? It's as simple as creating an account. Call 866-210-5362 and mention the code AUTONEWS to get 50% off your first two months. Find out why selling cars has never been this easy. That number again, 866-210-5362. Shifting just a little, uh, the U.S. Trade Representative has said she's looking into allegations of possible chip hoarding by an automaker or two. Um, intended to disadvantage rivals. Do you think that could be going on? Do you think it would be plausible? No, I don't think so. That's not likely uh, going on. I, I think that you know we're all in the same boat together. Those OEMs that have done a better job of maybe ordering uh, better quantities in advance, um, you know, are, are probably faring better right now than than the others. I mean, let's face it. You know, when when we were faced with COVID-19 hitting in March of, uh, of 2020, 
and the reality that we had to shut down our operations for you know the best part of eight weeks, that being the months of you know April and May 2020, we had very li- limited visibility as to how quick the economy would recover. And in everybody, in, in, including our company, you know, took a, a pessimistic view of how the economy and the industry could bounce back. And so we were all very cautious. And that cautiousness resulted in a big cutback on ordering of long lead time items, such as microchips and semiconductors. Well, certainly the economy came back much stronger than we anticipated. I mean, we had a quite quick ramp up in the third quarter of 2020. And then in the fourth quarter of 2020, we were all thinking we were off to the races mm-hmm. and uh, heading into a, a solid 2021. And lo and behold, in January 2021, uh, we learned about, uh, surprise, surprise, we're not getting as many microchips as we need to meet the demand. And um, you know, we got into this uh, now uh, downward spiral as a result of the, the chip shortage for 2021. Uh, all of which was, you know, not foreseen and has now created a second year of a very challenging industry for the auto sector. The good news is consumer demand remains strong and a lot of pent up demand out there. And I believe that uh, the future is bright once we get this chip shortage behind us, you know, barring some uh, new unforeseen uh, situation that might be uh, thrown our way. But, um, you know, the industry, uh, remain strong, and I, I believe it will continue to be strong. Let me ask you about the other big uh, shortage of 2021, the uh, the labor shortage. Um, has it gotten, is labor still hard to find for a lot of suppliers, and have workers gotten any easier to find since the enhanced unemployment benefits have wound down? Yeah, I think we're all facing uh, challenges on the labor front, and while it's probably gotten a little bit better over the last year, uh, it continues to be um, difficult. Now, with industry volumes being down, you know, it is sort of masking the, the real labor situation to some extent where you don't need as many laborers if your volumes are down, you know, say uh, 20% from where you, they were going to be. But in any case, um, we do know that, uh, you know, the pandemic uh, of 2020 has created uh, an interesting labor dynamic now that we're facing that, you know, sort of a result of of, I believe three different factors. One, uh, we have consumers that, uh, excuse me, uh, employees that uh, no longer want to work because they've been able to collect government subsidies by by staying home. Uh, number one, number two, there is some reluctance, I think, of employees to still come back to the workplace in light of the global pandemic and, and certain amount of fears around that in terms of exposure. And then thirdly, I think you know the global pandemics accelerated a lot of the trends that eventually we're going to going to be re- realized and that is that you know employees are not going to work for um uh, unacceptable wage employees are not going to uh work in some of these substandard job uh situations or opportunities and um the the letter i in the word individual is is about as big as it's ever been and so uh, i think uh you know, we we are we are going to face as as employers, um, you know, needs to create a new uh, personalized, uh, probably hybrid work models in our workplaces where where possible for our, our white collar work staff. And uh, I also believe that uh, we we will have a continued labor inflation uh, in our country and probably around the world. That's going to result in the cost of our consumable goods being higher. 
and prices being higher as a result. So um, it's it's um, it's a reality. We're, we're all working through it, and it's really affecting all of us at the current time. And at the same time, uh, there's there's still the issue of uh, what's expected of your employees. Is you know TI uh, has been a leader in requiring uh, vaccines or at, or a you know pretty significant uh, testing regimen. Um, that has has yes. that worked out for you? Yeah, that's been uh, that's been a challenge, but we're getting through it. So at, at TI Fluid Systems, uh, we we did take a decision in early September for our U.S. operations to um, mandate the vaccine for our, our our employees as a a condition going forward. We decided to uh, give employees plenty of time to seek vaccinations, and so that requirement comes into effect on November first. Uh, and we believe it's the right thing to do. Um, we we do have uh, a certain percentage of employees, a low percentage that you know have decided they they do not care to get vaccinated, and for a variety of reasons. And so um, we would be having to part ways with those employees, which is very unfortunate, and was not intended. But uh, at the end of the day, we're 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 standing by what we believe to to be the right thing, and um, we see other uh, companies moving in this direction. Um, because uh, at the end of the day, we, we have to uh, look out for the greater good of, of, of the masses and, and for society in general. You just just recently, just this month, you retired and wrapping up a long and successful career in the auto industry. And it really looked uh, like it was a very smooth succession process. Uh, what can you tell us about how that worked? Did you start making plans years in advance? Uh, Imagine those kinds of boardroom meetings, you know, seem can seem kind of remote and then they suddenly become very concrete, you know, when you're 63, 64 and ready to put the wheels in motion. We've been very fortunate to have a version process and it really is a, a very uh, clear uh, board discussion that, uh, you know, I, I was going to retire here uh, around the mid to end of 2021 um, and uh, we needed to, uh, you know, uh, follow through with our, our succession process. So the board did, as a good board does, a, a, an outside search for candidates that might be available, but but part of that is also to include internal candidates. And I'm really pleased that um, one of my colleagues who ran our largest division, Hans Dilgens, was, uh, was selected at the end of the day to be uh, the best uh, candidate to replace me. Hans has been with the company for over 20 years, and like me, he has a technical background uh, as well as very experienced in operations and the commercial side of the business. And so on March 1st of 2021, we announced uh, his appointment to the chief operating officer position with the intention of succeeding me in the four of one. And, uh, you know, Hans continued to take on more responsibility and more tasks that would be done uh, by myself and, and uh, of the CEO position. And as we got to October 1st, the board and, and myself felt that, uh, Hans was ready to take over um, officially the CEO role, and um, then I I am staying on as an advisor to TI Fluid Systems, and will continue to uh, support Hans um, for uh, a period of time going forward and support the board and the company in various initiatives. So uh, I'm still around, but not in the CEO capacity. And and Hans, in the meantime, is doing a great job of of taking all the experience he has and now at the helm of the company and uh, we're moving forward in a very positive way. So I'm 
really honored that we could bring in someone from within into my job that uh, that I had worked with and groomed and mentored for many years. And uh, he's going to be a great leader for TI and uh, I'm optimistic about the future. Well, it's certainly, uh, you know, is a great example for any any company in any industry. The way you yes, that. yeah, I think so. And you know, it's it, it's gone as well as we could have hoped for. And I think it's being received by our shareholders and the external markets as being very positive and smooth and orderly transition of uh, of of a CEO retiring. So uh, yeah. that makes me pleased as I wrap up forty five years of my professional career and working in the auto industry. And uh, and uh, you know, it's. Uh, it's a good feeling. It's a good feeling for the outgoing CEO, and I'm sure it's a great feeling for Hans coming into a, a new level of responsibility. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, Bill Kozira, uh, uh, advisor to TI yeah. Fluid Systems. <laughs> Thanks, Jamie. Thanks for having me, and you have a wonderful day. That's Daily Drive for October 13th. For the latest news on the auto industry, type in autonews.com. And for a complete catalog of more than 350 interviews, go to autonews.com slash daily drive. I'm Jamie Butters. Thanks for listening.